City Church family, it's a joy for me to be able to introduce Dave Bruscus. Dave leads our Acts 29 church planning network uh, here in the United States and is a great friend, uh, a tremendous encourager, and just um, a wise, wise counselor. Um, I'm so thankful that he's here, that you're going to get to hear him open up God's word for you. Um, I know that you will be strengthened by this message. You will be challenged. Um, and more than anything, you're going to revel in the gospel and just the kindness of Jesus uh, because Dave exhibits that in all of his life. Thanks for being here, Dave. Morning, family. Good to, good to be with you today. I am uh, I'm deeply thankful for your pastor. I love Pastor Ryan. I consider him a dear friend. And uh, you may not know this, but in addition to leading here at City Church, he also serves Acts 29 as our area leader for Collin County. And if I think about all the 800 or so lead pastors we have in Acts 29, he's the one that most resembles George Clooney. And so I, <laughs> I like that about him. I always feel like I'm with a celebrity when I'm around him. And so I am... Uh, You'll have to remind him of that when he comes back from sabbatical. I know he'll, he'll, he'll appreciate that I brought that to your attention if you haven't noticed it before. I was on a road trip a few years ago with a dear friend of mine, Randy, and his 10-year-old son, Truett. And to say that Truett loved Pokemon would be a huge understatement. He brought on this trip with him a three-ring binder in which he had collected all the Pokemon cards. And about halfway through our seven-hour road trip, He's sitting in the back seat, and he begins to card by card tell me about every character, that character's strengths and weaknesses, the enemies and uh, alliances. And this goes on for like 30 minutes till finally his dad, Randy, says, Truett, listen, I don't think Pastor Dave is as interested in Pokemon as you are. And Truett looks downcast for a minute, and I'm watching him in the rearview mirror there, and I look up, and he gets this resolved confidence in his face, and he turns to his dad, and he says, Dad, Give me 30 more minutes, and I guarantee you, Pastor Dave will like <laughs> Pokemon as much as I do. So here's our deal this morning. Ryan gave me a blank slate to preach from any passage in Scripture that I wanted to, and I picked my favorite passage. And if you just give me 30 minutes, I'm convinced it'll be your favorite passage too. So glad you're here today. I want us to ask the most important question we can ask today as followers of Jesus, and that's simply, who is Jesus to us? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to us? I don't think there's a more important question that we can ask and answer than that question as we follow Jesus. Who is Jesus to us? I want to give you an answer today, and then I want to give you a simple take-home action item to leave here with today. So glad to be with you. Let's pray, and then we'll open up the Bible together. Father, thank you that you called this meeting today, and you brought us here. Uh, whether we came with excitement, whether we came reluctantly, whether we came indifferently, according to the Lord Jesus, you brought us here because you seek those who will worship you in spirit and truth. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you, being eternally God, you've humbled yourself and you became a man. And you lived the only perfect life that's ever been lived. And Lord Jesus, you went to the cross dying a brutal death in our place, paying the penalty of sin that we deserve to pay. And Lord Jesus, the grave couldn't contain you. You are risen. You're at the right hand of God the Father. And one day, one day soon, we hope, you'll come back and you'll rule and you'll reign forever. God the Father and God the Son, thank you for sending to us God the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you today. As we open up the Bibles, our Bibles today, Holy Spirit, would you open up our hearts that we may have a greater esteem, a greater love, 
a greater obedience, a greater commitment to the Lord Jesus than ever before. And Holy Spirit, if there's anyone here today, anyone here in this room at all who hasn't yet met Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you arrange an introduction? And may lives forever be changed for the glory of Jesus. In his good name we pray together. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to jump right in in verse 15. Colossians 1, 15. Here we go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So much to unpack here, but I want to begin with the most basic thing. If we had time to read the previous verses, which we don't, but if we did, we would understand that he that we're referring to is none other than Jesus. And there's a three-letter word, it's a small word, that appears four times in these three verses. It's the word all. So we're saying some very big things about who Jesus is, but two things I want you to pay attention to right away. The first thing we learn is that he is the image of the invisible God. You might think to yourself, what does that mean? Like, I believe that to be true, but what exactly does it mean when you and I say that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? If you were to look at the original language of the New Testament, which is an an old form of Greek, you would see the word icon here. That's a word familiar to us, right? We understand icon. We we have icons on our, on, our, on our phones, on our desktop. We, we, we'd say somebody is iconic. Icon can mean two things. It can mean either that Jesus is a representation of God, or it can mean that Jesus is the manifestation of God. So let me see if I can explain which it is through an illustration. Uh, my wife, Kara, we've been married now. Uh, it'll be 36 years in December. She loves musicals. Not necessarily my favorite thing, but I, I like when she's happy, and so... I wanted to take her to see Hamilton. And I saw a few years ago that Hamilton was going to be playing down at Fair Park. So I thought, as soon as that happens, I'm going I'm to pony up. I'm going to buy the tickets, and we're going to go. And then the global pandemic happened, which was incredibly inconvenient. And there were no shows at Fair Park. So I splurged, and I got Disney Plus, and we watched <laughs> Hamilton. And it was amazing, to be honest with you. I loved it. Now, as I was watching Hamilton, and I was watching Lynn manuel Miranda, portray Hamilton, I would say what I saw him doing was he was representing Alexander Hamilton. He did an amazing job, and he was portraying himself and telling the story, and he was acting as if or representing or modeling Alexander Hamilton. He was a representation of Alexander Hamilton, but he wasn't the manifestation of Alexander Hamilton. The only way that Lin-Manuel Miranda could have been the manifestation of Alexander Hamilton is if the eternal spirit of Alexander Hamilton had possessed his body, and then he would have been Alexander Hamilton manifested, but he's not. Here's what I want you to understand. When you and I look into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God in human skin. He is the manifestation of God in human form. Jesus is eternally God. Our God is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, eternally existing, without beginning co-equal, co-worthy of worship. God the Son became a man. His name is Jesus, and Jesus manifests the image of God. Not only that, the second thing we learn about him from this text is he is the firstborn of all creation. Does that 
Does that strike you as weird? When you read that, you think, oh, what exactly does that mean? When we talk about firstborn in Scripture, there's a couple of meanings. One can mean you're first in sequence. Any firstborns in the room? I'm one. Raise your hand if you're a firstborn in your family. Okay. You know how you are. We know how we are. We're just firstborns. I've got one little brother. But the other meaning the Bible has when it uses the term firstborn is not just first in sequence, but first in significance, right? I remind my little brother this all the time. Hey, bro, according to the Bible, firstborn, not just first in sequence, but first in significance. Hey, don't be a hater. It's just the Bible, all right? I'm just the messenger. Don't hate on me. We already know from this text that Jesus is without beginning. As a matter of fact, according to this text, all things that exist, visible and invisible, on the earth and in the heavens, all things that exist were made through Jesus. He's the agent of creation, and ultimately, they're made for Jesus. And then I love this last statement. If you look all the way down into verse 17, it says, and in him, all things hold together. That's more than a statement about atomic science. When we say all things hold together in Jesus, what the scripture is teaching us is everything that exists, visible and invisible things on the earth and in heaven, everything that exists everywhere ultimately has meaning in as much as it relates to Jesus. When we say he holds all things together, we say Jesus gives meaning to everything everywhere. And that apart from Jesus, out of relationship with Jesus, there is no meaning. Who is Jesus to us? The first thing I want you to think about today is simply this. Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our meaning. You ever around people who don't yet know Jesus, and maybe you're in that place today, and if so, I'm so glad you're here. But as people try to explain the difficult things that are going on in the world around us, it just doesn't make any sense. That's because it doesn't, apart from Jesus. See, To understand the Bible is to understand the Bible is not a collection of a thousand stories. It's one story. It's what God is doing, and it's the story of God starting in creation and culminating in eternity when God is making for himself a people from every tongue, every tribe, that he is going to redeem and restore and be their God forever. And it's ultimately a story about a person. His name is Jesus. And there's really four parts to understanding the story of God. The first begins in Genesis. It's the story of creation. Does anybody remember what God said when creation was finished? What did he say? He said, it is, it's good. And then Genesis 3 comes along. What happens there? Sin. And all that's good becomes compromised. That's chapter 2 of the Bible. If you're looking at the Bible as a big story. Chapter 1, creation. God declared everything was good. Chapter 2, human beings fell out of favor with God. And all of creation, every aspect of it was compromised. But God is infinite in mercy and love. And God became a man. His name is Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life you and I can't live. He died the death we deserve to die on the cross. He's raised from the dead. And we enter into the third chapter, which is redemption. God is redeeming for himself a people from every tongue and every tribe to be his own. And as they're redeemed by the finished work of Jesus, they're declared right before God, they're adopted into his family, but the story doesn't end there. There's one more chapter. It's the final chapter. It's the chapter of restoration. That when all is said and done, God is going to restore all things that are lost. There will be no more death, no more crying, no more tears, no more injustice. We will be with Jesus forever, and it will be perfect. 
And we will fulfill the purpose that God created us for, that is to worship and enjoy him forever. Jesus gives meaning to life. I've got four daughters, three sons-in-law, four grandsons, two granddaughters. We're working on the fourth son-in-law. I think we're getting close. And uh, my youngest, just a few years ago, was at the age of 20, was diagnosed with stage four uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. And she was so heartbroken. The good news was, uh, it's a very curable form of cancer, and she's doing great today. I should always, I always have to remember to tell that part of the story because people come up to me afterwards, how's your daughter? You know, oh, yeah, she's great. But uh, it was a hard recovery. And I remember going with her and my wife to her first day of chemo infusion. And she was sitting there in the chair. The room was filled. She was probably the youngest person in the room, and she was taking the, the chemo through an IV, and her skin color just changed. I don't know if you've been through chemo. You've seen that before. It's, it's pretty rough. So her, her skin color changes. She goes home. She's not feeling well. And I can tell she's depressed. And when Jillian, my youngest, is depressed, she just goes to bed. So she went to bed, and, and uh, it was early afternoon, and I just began to pray. I was trying to make sense of this. How do you make sense of a world in which we live in when young people get cancer and some don't survive? How do we make sense of that? And I began to remember this Bible's narrative that we're in the time of redemption. Jesus saves us, and ultimately he's going to restore all things. But we're awaiting a future in which all things are restored. They're not fully restored yet. So we live in a world where there's suffering, and there's sin, and there's brokenness, and there's injustice. But we have this amazing promise that God is our Father, who will never leave us or abandon us. So I'm praying for Jillian. Father, please be a good father to her. And I... And dads, I don't know if you've done this before. In those types of settings, do you ever think back on how you failed as a dad? Like, oh, man. What stays in your mind in those moments as your kid suffers, I could have done so much better. And I'm thinking that there she is laying upstairs in her bedroom, trying to sleep, thinking about hearing my voice say, try harder, do more, pull yourself up, you can do it, you're tough. And she's buckling under the weight of that. So I'm asking the father, please, father, be kind to her. Jesus, give her meaning in this moment. She sleeps all afternoon. She comes down for dinner. It's just me and Kara. The other girls are off and uh, Jillian. And we're, we're eating dinner. And midway through dinner, she just casually says, oh, yeah, Mom and Dad, uh, God spoke to me today. We're like, what? Like, that deserved a little bit bigger buildup. But, but please tell us, what exactly did he say? She said, I was uh, waking up, feeling sad, not feeling well. And I heard two words out loud. I heard the words, my daughter. And she said, Dad, I looked across the room. I thought it was you, but it wasn't quite your voice, and you weren't there. And I realized the father was reminding me that I'm his. I'm his daughter. That's the meaning Jesus gives life. Jesus is our meaning. Who is Jesus to us? Jesus is our meaning. He holds all things together, all things that exist, visible and invisible, everything that comes into your life ultimately has meaning in as much as it has meaning in relationship to Jesus. Where are you this morning? Are you in a sweet season of life and everything just seems to be going swimmingly well? Are you suffering? Are you struggling? Wherever you are, is Jesus your meaning? Are we living meaningful lives? Jesus is our meaning. Second thing I want you to see about Jesus from verse 18 and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, 
everything means everything, that in everything he might be what? Preeminent. Wow. Wow. That's a huge statement. Two things are here again. One is that Jesus is the head of the church. Now, I've had, a, I've had some opportunity to spend time with the elders here of City Church. I love them. Godly men, they love you. They love to serve you. But I bet if I pressed in on your bylaws or I really asked them the question, they would tell us they're not in charge here. You know who they would say is the senior pastor of the church? Jesus. It's his church, not theirs. They're under shepherds. He's the senior shepherd. He's the senior leader. The church, Jesus is the head of the church. And in the church, more than any other place and among any other people in the world, Jesus makes his preeminence known. He's first. He's foremost. He's ultimate. His resurrection, according to this text, qualifies him to be first over everything, everywhere. Here's the second thing I want to communicate to you about Jesus. Who is Jesus to us? Jesus is not only our meaning, but Jesus is also our mission. Now, I know some of you are going to say, wait, wait a minute. Uh, that doesn't sound exactly right. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Aren't we supposed to make disciples? Isn't that the mission? Yes, you're right. But let me show you what it looks like to make disciples. So flip over with me real quick to Matthew 28 passage of scripture you're all familiar with. I know this is a theme passage here at uh, City Church, Melissa. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Listen to, the, listen to the similarities of Colossians 1 here, what we just talked about. Ready? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Sounds like Colossians 1, doesn't it? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gathers his disciples together. It's right before he ascends into heaven. He's already been raised from the dead. And he says to them, all authority is mine. All authority in heaven and earth in other words, he's saying, I'm preeminent. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. And then he concludes his statement, and we'll get to his statement in a minute, but he concludes his statement by saying, and I'm with you always. It's really good to know, isn't it? The one who's in charge of everything, who never leaves us, gives us a commission. Here's what he says. He says, make disciples. That's the main verb there. There's three aspects to that. Going, so we don't wait for people to come to us. We go to them to tell them about Jesus. We baptize them, but baptize, baptize, baptism is not the culmination of discipleship. It's the initiation. And next week, it's really exciting, 18 people are going to be baptized right here. Isn't that exciting? God's doing a great work here among you. I hope you see that. I hope you enjoy that. Excited for you. But the culmination of discipleship, according to Jesus, is that we teach people to observe or to obey all that he's taught. In other words, the essence of discipleship is that we together, by the power of God, for the glory of God, bring our lives into alignment with the preeminence of Jesus. So Jesus is then preeminent in everything we think, everything we speak, everything we feel, and everything we do. In other words, Jesus is our mission. My wife and I watch movies on Friday night. It's our family tradition just the two of us, and I've noticed if you're as old as me in this room, and I don't see as many that are, maybe no one, uh, every week that gets like 15 minutes earlier. So I'm going to have to call my boss on Friday afternoon and say, hey, can I take off at 3 because i got to get home and eat dinner. So 
I can start movie night by five and be in bed by seven. I don't know. My parents did this, and I thought to myself, I'll never be that, but here I am. So it's my turn to pick. We alternate weeks, and she will say to me, did you find a W tonight? Now, here's what she means by that. My favorite genres of film fall under a W category. I love Westerns, and I love war movies. So she'll say, did you find a W tonight? And oftentimes, I'll say, yeah, I found something we can watch. Oftentimes, it seems like we always compromise at romantic comedies. Go figure. Uh, it's the sway she has over me, and I'm happy to, happy to have that. Remember, 20 years ago, there was a war movie that came out called Saving Private Ryan. Do you see this? I remember seeing the trailer that came out in theaters. Remember when we used to go to movie theaters? You guys remember that? I'm waxing nostalgic today. I remember sitting in the movie theater when that trailer played, and there was this tagline that captured my attention. It said at the end of the trailer, which was compelling in itself, this time the mission is a man. Here was the concept. It's going to be a special group of soldiers that were going to go in after the Normandy invasion, deep into Normandy, and rescue Private James Ryan, who was the sole surviving son of his mother. He had already lost three brothers in the war. Take them back home so that he could comfort his mom, who was mourning her other sons. And the idea, again, was this time the mission is a man. It's not winning the war. The mission isn't capturing a strategic weapon or piece of property. This time the mission is a man. Church, listen to me. Our mission is about a man. Not any man. He's the God-man, Jesus, who is preeminent in everything. And he calls us, along with our own lives, to go and tell people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, that they can live under the preeminence of Jesus by grace through faith. Are we living on mission? Are you living on mission? Are you looking at your life today and say, what would it look like for every aspect of who I am to be submitted and yield to the preeminence of Jesus. What would it look like for Jesus to be first in everything I am, in everything I do, everywhere I go? That's the mission. One last thing about Jesus, and we're done. Back to Colossians 1. Pick up with me, if you will, in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile. Circle that word. Highlight that word. Underscore that word. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, I love this text. That's why it's my favorite passage. First you see that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus, and God is pleased to dwell in Jesus. Jesus isn't God's plan B. God isn't disappointed. There's pleasure in God that his fullness might be manifested in Jesus because there's a plan associated with God's pleasure, and that is to reconcile to himself all things through the blood of the cross. God is a holy God. And our common ancestors, our common parents, Adam and Eve, sinned against God rebelled against God, committed treason against God, and everyone, everywhere who's born into the human race is born in an antagonistic, estranged relationship from God, and there's nothing we can do about it, but God did everything to fix that. God became a man. His name is Jesus. Jesus lived the only perfectly compliant, perfectly obedient, perfectly holy life that's ever been lived. Then he went to the cross as your blameless substitute, died in your place, rose from the dead, 
And by turning from your sin and trusting in him, you can be declared right before God. You can be adopted into his family. You can be reconciled to God. Oh, that's good news. John Perkins says there's four different aspects of reconciliation that happen at the cross of Jesus. The first and obvious one is people are reconciled to God. Listen to me today. If you're here and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, why not today? Why not today? Today, through Jesus, I have the opportunity to share to you the best news you'll ever hear. That is, you don't have to be alienated from God anymore. You don't have to be estranged from God anymore. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus. Turn. Turn away from living your life independently apart from God. Turn and trust in Jesus. He is all that he says he is. And in him, find forgiveness and righteousness and love and mercy and grace and adoption. Would you do that today? You do that today, I think the elders are going to be here afterwards. Come let them know, and maybe you can be baptized among the 18 next week. It would be incredible. The first way in which reconciliation happens at the cross of Jesus is humans are reconciled to God, but then humans are reconciled to each other. You ever had that experience? A family member, a friend comes to faith, and all of a sudden they come to you, and things that were broken in the past are now made right. There's forgiveness. There's oneness. Marriages are reconciled, and families are reconciled, and friendships are restored. Individuals are reconciled to individuals. At the cross of Jesus, people groups are reconciled one to another. Men are reconciled to women. Rich are reconciled to poor. White are reconciled to blacks. Democrats are reconciled to Republicans. People come together because of the cross of Jesus. And the final dimension of reconciliation that happens at the cross is creation is reconciled to God, and we're all reconciled together. You ever feel unreconciled to creation? I'm going to feel that in about six weeks because cedar is going to begin to uh, pollinate, and I'm going to be the most miserable guy in DFW, and I'm going to walk out my door every morning and shake my fist at creation and say, we need Jesus. We're not all right together. Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our mission. Here's the last thing I want you to see from this text. Jesus is our message. You see that? City Church, we have a singular message to communicate to Melissa and Anna and McKinney and Van Alstine and all over, all over the world, and that is people can be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's good news. You don't have to live estranged from God anymore. You don't have to live apart from God anymore. You don't have to live under the wrath of God anymore. You can be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's our message. Oh, there's many things beneath that, but nothing is more important than that, and that's what we lead with. That's the headline. That's the most important thing we can communicate. Are you living on message today? I was uh, serving a church in, in, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, right by the University of Mexico. We met in an old historic theater. And uh, the community around the University of New Mexico is much like a lot of university communities, probably like the Square in Denton or Sixth Street in Austin. It was that kind of a setting, very progressive politically, a lot of angst towards Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity. So I had a simple plan during the week. I went from storefront to storefront by the University of New Mexico, and I just pastored people, um, even those that weren't Christians yet. I'm just going to love these people. I'm just going to shepherd them. Even if they don't want me to. I know that sounds kind of weird, like a stalker, but it wasn't quite like that. I met a a woman named Amber. 
Amber had an import store there in Knob Hill. And uh, she had a lot of resentment <clears throat> towards Christianity and the things that were taught in evangelical Christianity. But we began to have conversations. And her heart began to soften towards God. And we got to the point where she began to see herself as estranged from God. She was a sinner. She began to see Jesus as a savior. And I could tell every time we talked, she was getting closer and closer to faith. So I woke up one morning and I thought, today's the day. Today's the day that Amber meets Jesus. This is going to be the day. I just was so resolved and I was confident. And so went, uh, went to my office, prayed for the meeting I was going to have with Amber, walked down into her store, waited for the customers to kind of clear out. So I knew we could have an uninterrupted conversation. And I began to talk to Amber about Jesus. And she affirmed all the things the Bible teaches about Jesus. She said, I know, I know, I know he's God. I know he's my substitute. I know I need a savior. I know I'm a sinner. It was so clean and clear, and I could tell her heart was tender. And I said, Amber, is today the day you want to become a Christian? She began to tear up, and she said, no, I can't today. I said, what do you mean? And I walked through the whole presentation again, and she affirmed every point along the way. Finally, I said, Amber, I'm so confused. Like, you, you affirm all the truths of Christianity. Why don't you want to follow Jesus? And with a broken voice and tears in her eyes, she said, I want to become a Christian. I just don't want to become a Republican. It's like, Amber, who told you that? She's like, I'm on social media. I know what people say. Listen to me. It's good that you're involved in politics. I think that's part of being a Christian. It's good that you love your community. It's good that you want good for all people in your community. But listen, if we're drowning out the big message that God reconciles people to himself through Jesus, we are blurring the message of Jesus. And Jesus is our one and only message. Are you living on message? Are you leading with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it's amazing news. Every other story pales in comparison. God is redeeming all things to himself through Jesus. And he's called you together as a church to communicate that good news to people that are alienated and hostile and hopeless before God in Collin County and beyond to the ends of the earth. What do we do with this? Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our mission. Jesus is our message. So what? What are we to do when we go home today? How does this change us in any way? I want to give you one specific action point, and I want to share with you a story from a book that every Christian that was in ministry leadership read like 15 years ago, and like all popular books at the time, it just kind of faded. But there's a book named Blue Like Jazz that a guy named Donald Miller wrote. I don't necessarily recommend it, or I don't even remember what I remember about it, but there's a story I want to share with you because I think this helps us understand what now, what next. This is from Blue Like Jazz. A guy I know named Alan went around the country asking ministry leaders questions. He went to successful churches and asked the pastors what they were doing, why what they were doing was working. It sounded very boring. It really does, doesn't it? It sounded very boring except for one visit he made to a man named Bill Bright, the president of a big ministry. Alan said he was a big man full of life, who listened without shifting his eyes. Alan asked a few questions. I don't know what they were. 
But as a final question, he asked Dr. Bright what Jesus meant to him. Alan said Dr. Bright could not answer the question. He said Dr. Bright just started to cry. He sat there in his big chair behind his big desk and wept. When Alan told that story, I wondered what it was like to love Jesus that way. I knew that I would like to know Jesus like that with my heart, not just my head. I felt like that would be the key to something. Family, that's the key to everything. I want us to know Jesus. Not just with our heads, but with our hearts. I want you to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want us to know Jesus together. How do we do that? How do we know Jesus better? Knowing Jesus better is very similar to knowing a friend or a spouse or a classmate or a coworker better. We get to know people better through conversation. I want to challenge you today to take 30 minutes for every day for the rest of your life, your best 30 minutes. If you're a morning person like me, let it be the first thing in the morning. If you're an evening person like my wife, let it be before you go to bed. If you're a great lunchtime person, take 30 minutes at lunch. Would you take 30 minutes a day for the rest of your life, and would you spend time having a conversation with Jesus? Jesus speaks to us through his word. I'm sure your elders and ministry leaders here would be happy to put you on a simple plan that helps you hear from Jesus from the Bible. And then you and I speak to Jesus through through prayer. Prayer simply talks. My most common prayer is, help me, Jesus. Jesus is our meaning. Jesus is our mission. Jesus is our message. What if we spent the rest of our lives knowing him, loving him, trusting him, obeying him? Who's in? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you and your kindness and your mercy and your grace have made a way for us to be reconciled to you, reconciled to one another. Father, would you help us? We're busy people. Life is chaotic. and Things get in the way, but I pray for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every young person in this room. The beginning today, we'd commit time every day to having a conversation with Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus, you love us. You love to know us. You love to be known. May we be people who know you and make you known. In your good name, we ask these things. Amen. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.